0: Welcome to our broadcast. I am Lindsay Fassati, lead physical therapist for the St. Jude Fullerton Outpatient Neuro Rehab Team. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for information purposes only. For any medical questions, reach out to your primary primary care or healthcare professional. Joining me today is Dr. Natalia kovarubius eckhart Inpatient Rehabilitation Medical Director and Pain Management Medical Director at St. Joseph's Orange. To get us started, uh, Dr. Coverbius please tell us about what you do in your role at St. Joseph and St. Jude.
1: So I do inpatient and outpatient rehab, I'm specifically working more with stroke patients, brain injury, spinal cord injury, amputees, and anything that really impacts their functional abilities on the inpatient outpatient side. Um, and so typically you follow them when they come to the hospital and then outpatient. But I also do help with people who are home and have functional impairments from any of those diagnoses, and now with COVID, of course, and help them to optimize their function and figure out which ways we need to help support them to get better.
0: Great. And, I, and you see patients both inpatient and outpatient, which is, mm-hmm. I think, unique to your role.
1: Um,
0: and what can you tell us about COVID long hauler syndrome?
1: So long haulers is an interesting syndrome. We started noticing it after having more and more patients who have COVID continue to report ongoing symptoms. So typically you'll have the acute inflammatory phase of COVID where you have, you know, the shortness of breath or chest pain. Um, Some people have to go into the hospital because they're requiring more treatment and oxygen, whereas others are so minimal that they're able to just manage it at home. And once you've passed that acute phase, it's when you have ongoing symptoms. And there are a variety of symptoms that these patients can have. And we have a very long list, but just to name a few would be fatigue and difficulty with shortness of breath or chest pain, Um, just having decreased endurance and not being able to do their activities as they were before. You can also have loss of taste or smell and people are reporting depression or feelings of sadness, especially associated with not being able to do what they can. Um, Some are having increased heart rates and decreased blood pressures. Um, So there's a variety of presentations that people can have. And this is ranging from those that were hospitalized to those that were even not hospitalized at all.
0: And is there any way you can kind of give us an idea how long it can last?
1: We have no clue. So everybody's different and everyone's presentation is different, which is why this is a really interesting syndrome. Um, Some people have it just for a couple days, some don't get it at all, whereas others are still fighting with it when they were first diagnosed back when COVID first hit us. And we're still learning about why this happens. There's some theories that it's an immune response, an inflammatory response, and some people have higher... Um, inflammatory responses to the virus than other patients, but we still don't know 100%. Yeah.
0: That was one of my next questions is why do you think some develop it and some do not? So um, it has been interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, And I think one, sorry to interrupt. I think some of the data looks at people who have more comorbidities tend to have it as well. But again, we're we're still investigating why some do
0: and some don't. Yeah. Can you describe what some of those um, underlying health conditions may be that some of the long haulers are having?
1: Yeah. Um, So some people who have underlying conditions before the long haulers have, say, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, or chronic kidney disease. And in those patients, we're tending to see higher rates of long haulers. And again, I mean, those people are also more likely to get COVID. So it's hard to tell whether that's why they're getting these symptoms or not.
0: Are you seeing that symptoms are different in children and teens as compared to adults?
1: So that is an interesting um, thought as well. Um, I don't specifically treat kids and teenagers, um, but in looking at the data, it looks like they're experiencing the same symptoms as adults. So again, the shortness of breath, fatigue, um, confusion, or the cognitive fogging, it looks like they tend to have it at decreased rates. And so the data that I was looking at looked at about a 15% rate of this, and this was at a UK study, but there were even some that reported higher as you get higher in the age groups. So it looked like the younger kids under 11 to 12 were having this at a lower rate, whereas the older kids 12 and above were having it at a higher rate similar to what adults were having it. And this kind of goes back to the inflammatory theory that older children react more like adults. And so they are also possibly having this heightened inflammatory reaction to COVID when it happens.
0: And I know this might be kind of hard to answer because even though it's been a couple of years, it's hard to tell like long-term damage can be, but are Mm -hmm. we seeing that there's any like lasting damage from some of these long hauler patients?
1: Yes, we are. So the long lasting damage that we're seeing tends to be more in patients who had more severe respiratory issues. So people are having interstitial lung disease, requiring ongoing management with pulmonology. We are seeing people who have myopathies or neuropathies. So those are damage to muscle and nerves. And those ones are taking a lot longer to recover and still ongoing management is necessary. And like you mentioned, it's still fairly early on in the course. So we don't know how they're going to recover years out. Um, but we are noticing that people are reaching a point where they may be stuck with these conditions
0: lifelong. So when you started seeing these patients, UB kind of came the lead on the development of a program for um, those experiencing long hauler syndrome um, that prompted our rehab program here at St. Jude. Mm -hmm. Can you just describe how that kind of came about?
1: Yeah, I will say that St. Jude is a great place because we have great multidisciplinary care, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a strong connection with all of the therapists, all of the staff. And so we already treat a variety of conditions similar to this. So strokes, brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, but you also have chronic pain. You have chronic fatigue syndromes. You also have our cancer program. So this came together fairly easily for all of our therapists and staff. Granted, they did put on a lot of work. Um, to d- develop the protocols and the treatments and educate all of the therapists on how we should be managing this. But I think we were uniquely positioned because we work so well as a team together to be able to pull this program. And we are one of the few in our area that had it so early on.
0: Yeah. And I agree. And that's how, um, I became associated with the program was via you, And I agree, we had a lot of the, uh, the framework already set up to kind of start mm-hmm. taking these patients. So, um, at our rehab facility here. I was one of the PTs that was part of the COVID uh, rehab program. There was a PT involved, OTs involved, speech therapists involved, and we also had access to psychology services at mm-hmm. one point um, during the program. And we also had access to our wellness building here, which had nutritionists involved, as well as other um, just services to help with stress management, fatigue, return to exercise, those type of, um, just those type of resources that made it really easy for us to take on this program and set it up mm-hmm. for these patients which was which was a blessing I think for a lot of these patients. We were really excited to get a chance to work with them in an outpatient setting.
1: Yeah, agreed. And you actually bring up a great point is that St. Jude has two different programs. So we have our rehab component which involves all the therapists and then we have that wellness component. And so those are more for people who don't necessarily need one-on-one therapy but still need some other management whether it be just for general well-being, dietary management, um, they can be really helpful, so it was nice that we had those two programs.
0: And it was, easy, from, yeah. Go ahead. No, it was easy from there to spin off too into, to, um, you know, once we had all these long haulers here, they created a sport uh, support group as well. So mm-hmm. there was just there was so much here that we could offer, and it was really great that that you had the insight to kind of give us give us the hands on experience with them.
1: Yeah. Well, going back to how you <clears throat> became involved in the program, mm-hmm. how would you relate? your treatments with the COVID patients to other conditions that are similar? Or where are you drawing from your experience to help treat them?
0: Um, I think the overlay with a lot of the patients was some of this, the general conditioning things we saw, fatigue management, um, just generalized weakness after being hospitalized, which you would see. And then we have experience on this side with the neurological component. So anyone who was having a neuropathy or having other neurological components with their COVID um, experience. We were set up and well-trained to see that. For us, we went back and did a lot of respiratory review and training. So we were prepared to see these patients who had severe respiratory compromise during the disease process. Um, So it was a pretty easy transition in that regard. It was just, um, you know, we didn't know what we were gonna see. And so when we started getting these patients, we were seeing exactly what you talked about. We saw a lot of the patients who were um, hospitalized, severely impaired, went through the the really, really severe COVID. And then we saw patients who had COVID just at home and didn't have a severe disease process, but were having long lasting symptoms afterwards. So, um, you know, we were able to hit the whole spectrum of COVID patients, not just the ones who were severely impaired. And I think we saw what surprised us was a lot more the long haulers of people who were just at home but couldn't recover couldn't really kick the symptoms and we're seeing they were having some long lasting side effects and we saw a lot more of those patients than we did actually the severe COVID patients so it was a it was a quick transition to wow there's a lot more people out there not just what Mm -hmm. we're seeing hospitalized that needed our services.
1: Exactly I think that was the most surprising is really these two groups of, of patient populations and how do we manage all of them together. And I I think a
0: lot of them just were like, sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Kova, but mm -hmm. a lot of them were happy to have their their symptoms like validated, like they were seeing that all of them were here complaining about the same things. And they thought Mm -hmm. they were almost like, this can't be true. I'm not having brain fog. I'm just, but they all were having very similar symptoms. So it was all these, we had had a lot of data really fast because there were Mm -hmm. so many patients who needed our services.
1: Yeah. And since you touched on that, what have we seen so far from our program? And since we're capturing all this data, what have you noticed?
0: Um, we have noticed uh, a couple of different things. One is, um, you talked about it early on, a lot of the patients had these underlying like uh, fatigue issues. We were able to really help them restructure their lives and work on some pacing and, and get energy conservation, work conservation strategies back so they could return to work faster and kind of... Uh, break the cycle of where they're at with their fatigue. So that was one of the things we saw early on, just be able to get their endurance back by restructuring some of their their days um, and their work activities. From a respiratory standpoint, we did see increased forced vital capacities, increased tolerance to activity, um, better exercise response. Um, With a lot of the patients who were really severely impaired, they just needed retraining on how to deep breathe, how to pace themselves while they're getting back to exercise. So we saw an increase in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest components is we saw a, um, a huge change. And I can't speak to the actual data. It's not my discipline, but speech therapists picked up a lot of the brain fog patients, the mm-hmm. and paracognition patients. And I know that they had a lot of success just helping those patients navigate where they were struggling so they could get back to some of their daily activities.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think we just reviewed the data and all of the things that you're mentioning were things that we were seeing improvements on, which is great Mm -hmm. to see that our interventions are carrying over and helping all these patients. Mm -hmm. And how do you think someone who has been diagnosed with long haulers can help themselves best? Like what would be your biggest piece of advice?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I think it's a little easier now. I mean, we started this program last September, and that was even before the big COVID surge. So long haulers is kind of a new term. I think people are more familiar with it now. And so I think they know they can they can reach out to their doctor, whichever their specialty physician is and say, I think I need some help and and get the services that they need. There's a lot of resources out there. You just need to advocate for yourself and tell your doctor, like, I'm I'm struggling with this. I may have had COVID, you know, last July, but I don't feel like I I've managed my fatigue well enough, or I don't feel like I can I can perform the same at work. I think you just need to to trust your gut. If you don't feel right, you may, you may have some issues and ask your doctor for help and get referred.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point because that's the thing I hear the most is that people who have not had a formal COVID test, you know, Mm -hmm. they never actually tested, but they suspected they had it, are having symptoms and they're wondering if they can get help. And I think I would agree the biggest thing is to ask for help, even if you have suspected that you had it, but you didn't Mm -hmm. get a confirmed diagnosis is to reach out to your doctors or your teams.
0: And I think it was worth noting, too, that the patient population we saw really was kind of all across the board. It wasn't like mm-hmm. one set of patients who had all these underlying comorbidities and you would, you know, expect them to have a worse response to COVID. I mean, we were seeing patients who were healthy in their 40s and their early mm-hmm. 50s. And even though they weren't hospitalized, really struggled with recovery afterwards. Um, I have one patient that stuck out in my mind. She was a very active um, she was involved in legal field in Los Angeles, going to courthouses all the time, on the Peloton every morning, like just a super active mom. And she really, really, really struggled. It took us a long time mm-hmm. to get her back to baseline. So I think um, COVID is unpredictable and mm-hmm. you may not expect the way your body's going to react to it. And so, like I said, advocate for yourself. If you don't feel good, yeah. you probably don't feel good.
1: Agreed. One, even the, the, in, the hard part with the data also is that we're only seeing those that reach out for help. You know, there's Mm -hmm. tons of people that I'm sure are doing their own research online, trying to figure out what they can do for themselves. Like even my stepmom reached out to me and said, hey, I'm having a hard time with shortness of breath after COVID a couple weeks ago. What would you do? But doesn't have the time for therapy. Mm -hmm. And so that's the hard part is, you know, I think if you have the time and you have the ability to do more therapy or at least ask for a second opinion, I think that's really important because there are ways that you can get back to what you're doing before or at least feel better.
0: Yeah. And it may not be a formal therapy program, but at least getting the mm-hmm. the information, the education that you need doesn't mean you're committing to therapy for weeks on end. It just means talk to someone who's seen these patients. They can mm-hmm. educate you, tell you what to work on or what to look for. And then, you know, it may, it may really help. It may impact your exactly. life. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed. And it yeah. looks like we had a couple of questions come in. Um, so it looks like someone's asking about if long hauler syndrome affects someone's immunity capabilities. And I would say that's a difficult one, because we still don't know, like I said, we're assuming that part of this is the heightened immune response or heightened inflammation, um, but we don't have enough data to suggest that it long-term affects your immune capabilities, that's difficult. And there's another one about dysphagia, and we have seen dysphagia in our patients, um, or difficulty swallowing. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say I've seen it more in the people that were intubated or needed a breathing tube to help um, sustain them, but that is something that we are seeing.
0: I would, I would agree. It was most of the patients that were intubated. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then Lindsay, is there anything else that you think that you would like to discuss that we haven't talked about already?
0: Um, you know, the only other kind of tangent I would say in regards to these patients is it's a very stressful time for a, a lot of these patients and, and mm-hmm. the family members. So I think it also should, um, you know, you know, just be pointed out that you went through COVID, it was stressful. It may have been stressful for your spouse, stressful for your kids to watch. And there are resources for that as well. And and a lot of these people had a whole family worth of people that had COVID. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, that that all experienced different levels of of how of severity, I should say. So even if you mm-hmm. had it really bad, but your wife didn't have it as bad, she may still need a little bit of help. I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of different ways to approach this. It's not um just who had it most severe. So there is a support group. Um, there are people that can help you navigate the process. I just want people to know that. Yeah. But I think we touched on everything. Um, Dr. Cove, anything you think we missed?
1: No, I think you made some really good points and it sounds like we've covered most questions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So thank you for joining us today and for everyone who is listening and sending in your questions. If you um, want to learn more about our initiatives or our programs and services or other ways to give, or if you're looking for medical care, please visit providence.org and make sure to follow us on the social media at Providence Health System, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram and under Providence on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you,
0: Thank you Dr. Kova.